0: What's up, guys? I'm Dmitry Lipinski, and welcome to the Roofing Insights podcast, the show that lets you take roofing insights on the go. If you have ever wanted to enjoy roofing insights content on your drive to the job site or while you're at the gym, this podcast is perfect for you. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. In today's episode, I had an amazing opportunity to speak with Marcus Lemonis, host of CNBC's The Profit Show. Marcus has spent much of his life Helping struggling companies and their owners learn the ins and outs of business and doing whatever it takes to save them. Before we get into how he's helping the roofing industry, let me tell you about today's sponsor, Roofmax. Roofmax gives homeowners the opportunity to lengthen the life of their roof and avoid a full replacement with their state-of-the-art rejuvenation technology. Costing only 20% of the price for an average roof replacement, RoofMax can save you money while projecting your most important and expensive asset. Visit roofmax.com today to find out how their service can help you. Now let's dive into Marco's story and learn what makes him so successful. Marcus, you are absolutely amazing. I'm a huge fan. My wife will absolutely kill me for not flying her in just to meet you, but- Why didn't you? Couldn't, five kids, and we just couldn't make arrangements. It was too hard. You've you figured a lot out in your life. I think you could have
1: figured it out. Well, I, 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 I would be calling your wife. Oh, we couldn't figure, we could figure out how to go from working in a grocery store for $6 an hour to this, but we couldn't figure out how to get a babysitter. I did not sleep for three nights.
0: If My wife over, overwhelms me, so if she would be here, I would be thinking
1: about her, not this. Everybody's wife overwhelms us. <laughs> well, you know, before we get started, um, I know we're going to jump into the q and I wanted to give everybody a little bit of background on why I thought this particular uh, organization was important to me. And so for years, I've been working with small businesses that range from restaurants to flower shops to car dealerships, et cetera. And historically, uh, we have not had a chance to focus on uh, the kind of trade that deals with homeowners, both uh, homeowners and commercial properties. And uh, recently, I made a big pivot and uh, stopped doing the profit, which was a wide range of businesses, and decided uh, to create a partnership with HGTV. And I'm in the middle of uh, creating a new show called The Renovator, which is not what you would expect it to be. In most places, most cases, you watch HDTV and you think about, okay, uh, the homeowner's going to leave, they're going to fix up the house, these designers are going to do some silly shit, and then uh, they're going to leave and the homeowners are going to come back and everybody's going to cry and everybody's going to be happy. And the reality of it is, is that the reason that I made the pivot is through the pandemic, we really learned that the home is the most important business of all. You have your business outside, but when you think about your home, uh, a lot of good things happen there. A lot of memories are made, babies are made, uh, and a lot of bad things happen there. Divorces happen, fights happen, people don't understand it. And when you look at what your role is in the process, you're trying to keep homeowners safe and sound and keep you know all the things that go on with your particular trade. And so rather than uh, doing what I would call a flipping show or a true renovation show, (laughs) we wanted to go in and really understand how homeowners think about their house, how they either respect it or don't respect it, how they think about generational wealth of building their home up to a point where they can pass it on to their kids and they can see the value and the hard work that they've put into their home get passed on. So um, when Dimitri and I connected, we really talked about the fact that it's important for us to shine a light on the businesses that keep the home moving. And whether it's uh, you know plumbers or electricians or roofers or whatever it may be, it was really important to me because I hadn't really done it before. And so as I enter into the new phase, it's really to shine a light on people like yourself who don't really get a lot of glory or glamour because it's on top of the house. Nobody ever sees you, nobody ever appreciates it. And I think in some cases, they take what you do for granted because they expect it to work. They just assume it's going to work. So as we go through today, we're gonna talk about a lot of specific things that are uh, related to your business. And my goal over the next four or five years as I do this project is to really shine a light on how hard it is to do what you do so that homeowners understand how to uh, find someone like you, how to vet someone like you, how to understand that there's a relationship there and that it's not just some guy or gal coming over to fix something. There truly is. The most important part of the house, which is keeping the dwelling safe. So that's why and, and you're super handsome. <laughs> so uh that's why we uh I thought this was a good thing for us to do together.
0: Marcus told me earlier, I explained to him directory, he's like I'm investing.
1: <laughs> what <laughs> do if you he, think about that? He lets me. <laughs> do you <laughs> like well, well, awesome of directory? I'm, I'm only investing if you guys are investing. So I'll take your lead.
0: Absolutely. This is one of the videos from roofing process conference that you can find on YouTube. Unfortunately, we cannot make them all available because it's very unique information. We don't want the whole world to see. It's a private. Companies like Monarch Roofing, Eustace Roofing, one of the best people in business shared with us how they do business. Some content will be published on YouTube later, but most presentations and keynotes will be only available privately. You can find them in two places. One is roofing school, You can sign up for just $197 a month, and you can cancel anytime. Uh, They're available to all students, all levels. And second one, you can go to roofconference.com and buy video package, official recordings of 2021 roofing process conference. Creator of the year, Adam Bensman and Eric Rina will share their presentations there. Eustace Roofing and Monarch Roofing Company of the Year shares their presentations. And a lot of content that took place during the conference will be available only on those two platforms. If you buy it at roofconference.com, we will send you all the links. And if you are a student at roofing school, you don't have to pay extra. You will find the folder there, 2021 Roofing Process Conference, and you will see all the videos. We are working on them as we speak. Every week we are uploading four or five presentations from the conference, you're gonna absolutely enjoy them, and you will have return on investment. Two hundred dollars is nothing for the content you're getting this time around. Now let's go back to Marcus Lemonis. Marcus, I would like to start uh, with the story of Profit. You're an entrepreneur. You started the show on TV. Uh, like, how did you start the Profit? What was the beginning? How yeah. did you, how did someone end up on television like that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, 2008 and 2009 were, were pretty spooky for all of us. My primary business is the RV business, which is like taking the housing market and the car market and making a baby. And in 2008 and nine, the RV, uh, the auto market and the housing market were in terrible shape. So it made a lot of sense to be in the RV business, right? Uh, as I came out of 2008 and nine, where I thought I was going to lose everything, like a lot of us did, I really was confused about the fact that the general media was focusing so much on Fortune 100 companies. I don't really care about you know, a Fortune 100 company instead of making two billion, they made a billion and I'm supposed to feel bad. And we were watching small business after small business after small business close. And when we looked at it, we really understood that the reason they weren't succeeding is because they didn't have the education. They didn't have the resources and the knowledge. They had the willpower and they had the effort and they had the desire. But you really sometimes need the technical resources to understand cash management, inventory, accounting, people, what the process should be and how all of that works together so that when you put labor into something, it ends up on the bottom line, not in the garbage can. And so I went to CNBC at the time uh, and said to them, look, you guys are known as a place that, that really promotes rich people and successful big companies and average people, the heart of America is really undernourished. And I don't wanna do a show where you stand in front of a panel and you pitch your bullshit product and you either get a deal or don't get a deal and you don't know anything about the business and you don't learn anything. And since I was a small kid, I always wanted to be a school teacher but didn't do well enough in school to qualify. And I thought, where could we create a forum where we can meet individuals and understand that a business is about the people there, right? If if you looked at everybody's business here and you did the same thing, you all operate differently, not because your industry is different, but because you're different. So how do we embrace that? And how do we also take people through a process where they don't feel like they're being talked down to? It was a big thing for me. It's like, I know that some people don't know their numbers. There's a lot of times I don't know my numbers. I know that some people don't understand inventory. And in your particular case, you have multiple forms of inventory. Labor is one of them. And so I really wanted to lean in. And I said to the network, here's the main thing. You can't tell me how to make the show. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what businesses to focus on. And it's 100% my money. So it's really going to be hands off. And in some cases, unlike most television, everybody doesn't get a hug at the end. There's not everybody's going to cry and feel great about it because when you guys do jobs or you do business, it doesn't always end great. And so we really wanted to focus on the fact that it's, it's got to be real and it's got to have some depth behind it. And it also has to be about bringing principles back to what all of our parents taught us, which is when you tell somebody you're going to do something, it doesn't have to be on a piece of paper. It doesn't have to have a legal contract. While that's always a good thing. If I shake your hand and you're thinking about how you teach your own kids, if you tell them, I need you to make your bed, you don't need to sign a contract and they say they're gonna do it, you have to start to do what you say you're gonna do. And I wanted to use that. And today uh, the show is taught in about 180 universities and 750 grade schools because teachers feel like it's easy to show them that the good old fashioned handshake and do what you say you're gonna do and be honorable matters. The other thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to show people how business should not be done. It's always easy to show people how to do it, but you need to show them examples of like, that's not how to do it. That is not how to treat people. That is not how to talk to people. And unfortunately, in some cases, some of those businesses were the specimen of that example. And you would think that people would show up and have some knowledge and like know their numbers and behave and instead for the first day they say the right things until they realize that the cameras are still there and they sort of forget about it. And then they start to be their true selves. So I wanted to show that. The last piece, and another reason that I'm here today is I'm a big believer in opportunity. And I don't believe that anybody deserves uh, to be opp- given an opportunity. I think you earn the opportunity. But what you do with that opportunity really matters to me. And I wanted to study the human psyche of how people think. If you gave two people or three people the exact same opportunity, you'd be shocked. And it's the exact same situation. You'd be shocked at how each one of those individuals handles that opportunity differently. And so that was, that was a long answer to a, and you question.
0: did not have any prior experience of being on television or no
1: and I don't really think about being on television as you guys get to know me better like what you see that's that's who I am uh, and so when I get pissed off that's it and when I'm really happy that's fine i do though um I do understand that that television uh is just a great platform I don't need to be a politician I would never want to do that uh, and I like making more money than a teacher which is a bad thing in our in our country, teachers should make more. And so I thought that it was a great platform for me to do it.
0: How did it affect your business life, being on, you know, with exposure, to with yeah. become famous?
1: Uh, well, I don't consider myself famous, I consider myself uh, vulnerable. I get sued a lot more uh, than I ever did over really dumb stuff because people think they can shake me down and they think I'm just going to settle. Uh, I get harassed a lot more. And I don't say that to feel bad, but making television hasn't really helped my business. Uh, But I'm I'm adopted from a foreign country. I'm an immigrant to this country, and I'm super grateful that I'm here, and I realize the risk associated with it. Uh, I don't know that I made any money from it. In fact, truth be told, and I'm not embarrassed to say this, in the 10 years of making the profit, I probably from people that were just dumb, or people that had bad character, I probably lost Wow, $50 million. Wow. 50, I'm okay with it. Because the education that I provided to our future generations would be no different than me giving away $50 million to some charity. And I know that a lot of people, like my wife in particular, thinks it's the dumbest thing she's ever heard of. But I don't have any kids. And so what I said to her is like, if this is how I leave my stamp on humanity and it costs me some money to do it in the end I'm still going to be okay but if that's the price of admission to leaving your footprint on people then that's what it is
0: love it. and people don't understand it after. this is our third annual conference you said something that your wife never understood uh, this is my third conference. She still doesn't
1: understand or agree. Yeah, every, yeah.
0: every year I lose. My first year, I lost $75,000 to do event. Like the second year, I lost 50000 I did not count it. I'm probably going to lose about 30000 doing this. But exactly like you said, when you do something like this, this is impact. This is touching people alive. You can't put price on it. I'm okay losing money too. I
1: appreciate well, you, it. Well, hold on. You could put a price on it. You can actually put a price on it. But that price may be worth it. And if you think about the way you run your business and everybody in this room, every single person in this room will be able to relate to this. There are jobs that are really profitable where you know the people can pay. And there are other jobs where you get a little, you know, your your heartstrings get pulled because they can't pay. And you start unpacking things on the roof and all of a sudden it's worse. And these people have a limited budget. And every single person in this room has reached into their pocket at one time or another to do a job or finish a job that you didn't make any money on, but you left there and you knew that the kids in their room were going to be better off than water dropping on their head. That to me is the price of being a good business owner. And a lot of consumers don't understand that the law of averages means that sometimes you make money and sometimes you don't. But if you feel okay about it and your employees see it, they're like, wow, you know we didn't make money on that job. Yep, I sure do. But hopefully they'll tell somebody the goodness that our company did, and it'll turn into something else.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned that um, you feel vulnerable and uh, you have harassment. How do you deal with online hate? I follow you on Facebook, and yeah. the comments that I see—yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, like, unbelievable.
1: Yeah. How do I deal with it? I, I I have really I'm really sensitive, and I say that with all sincerity. Like I, I'm a really sensitive person. You could hurt my feelings really easily, and I. I shouldn't tell people that because then they know they can. But I think it's important to just be honest, right? To act like when you hear or see things, it doesn't bother you and you build up this callous. It just isn't true. And the machoist of men are usually the biggest sissies. Okay, because you overcompensate. You're like, oh, I don't want anybody to see me as a really vulnerable, loving person. But it's okay to do that. And I think at the end of the day, I lay my head down on the pillow And I make mistakes. And so if I've done wrong by somebody or I've done something that isn't right, I do my best to to make it right. But if somebody comes after me and I know I've done the job right and I've put my heart and soul into it and I've followed the protocol and I've left the job exactly the way it needed to be, and then they try to extort me or do something. And you guys can have experiences where people try to not pay because they say, oh, you didn't do the job right. Right? You didn't do the job right. At the end of the day, I just say to myself, I'm gonna fight you until I die. I'll, gi- I'll give in if I'm wrong, but if you try to take something from my family, when I know I've done everything, I'm gonna to go to my death. We're gonna battle it out. And I think people have usually been surprised because normally when you sue people, they're like, oh, they're just gonna settle. I don't care about the public embarrassment. I don't care about, you can put it in the newspaper, write articles, make up all the shit you want. I'm gonna fight you till the death. And I think that's what you have to do as a business owner is, When you're wrong, clean it up. If one of your guys or gals make a mistake in the field, clean it up, just make it right. If a customer, no customers lie. Did you know that customers do not lie? No, they do lie? Um, Then you have to just defend yourself and the integrity of your company, including defending your people. That's what creates loyalty.
0: How many people applied to be on your show In 10 years? Uh, Probably
1: 400,000.
0: 400,000
1: businesses apply. And the show's over and people still
0: apply. (laughs) (laughs) Share the best success story from the show, like your top favorite or?
1: Uh, The best success stories for me from the show are when the people uh, who I meet initially aren't really thinking about themselves or other people the right way or their career or their life is going in a bad direction. And today they're different people. Uh, the economic success, I've had a few of them that have uh, really worked out. I've invested a couple of a million dollars and I'll make 10. Uh, there are some where I've invested 30 and I'll lose 100% of it. That's just math. What I love is, particularly on the female entrepreneur side, I've seen some women who have never felt empowered or had the resources or had the backing to do to be their best self. And today, they're now doing big deals with L'Oreal, do, doing big deals with Target, or doing whatever it is that they do. And I love that. Thank you. Thank you. One thing to note, in every single business that I ever invested with, and this is not public information, where it was a woman-owned business, in the last 12 months, even when they were successful, I gave them their business back. And I did that because I really felt like we needed to send a message that it is hard enough for a woman to get into business. Hard enough, whether you believe it or not, banks don't look at it the same way. Customers don't look at it the same way. And so anything you can do to push them to the front of the line, I think my mother would be super proud.
0: Wow. How uh, PPP principles were born, people, profits.
1: You know, uh, the three P's, the people, process, and product, um, I had always run my life by it. I had never made it as simple as I did, but I knew that I needed all of us to just have a really basic understanding. And sometimes you go to a class, me included, where I leave the class and I have no idea what just happened. Or I listen to a radio show or I watch an article. I have no idea what happened. And I really wanted to create a system where people would understand it. And when you think about people, which is your entire staff and the customer, the process, which is the way that you execute your job. And more importantly, in your case, the way you bid it and the way you complete it, that whole process to make sure you've done that right. And then the last, which is kind of the easiest, which is the product. For me, it's an execution of something that's pretty much commoditized. What makes each one of your businesses different is the people that actually meet the customer for the first time. The process you have to actually decipher whether you're going to go out into the job and quote it and take on that customer. The way you communicate with that customer about the status of their job and the completion of it or problems. And then most importantly for me, what happens when the job is done? Is the job done and that's it? Or is the job done and now you're fishing for referrals? And so that for me is the most important part. And if you have good people, you'll be in good shape.
0: What's the split for success? Is it 33, 33, 33, or one of them bigger?
1: Uh, No, the uh, the, the reality of it is that failure is about 75 to 80%. And most people are shocked by that. And a lot of it is, uh, in some cases, I make a bad decision because I make them. I'm human. In other cases, you can give a horse a ton of water and they'll still choke on it because they just don't understand how to swallow it. And I can't be there every day telling people, like, uh, don't be an ass, uh, count your inventory, uh, actually, you know, have some sort of accounting. And, and, and humans really end up ruining more of it, including me.
0: How many times you've, uh, during the show time you've been intentionally screwed for money? I've, I remember a Chicago store, at $200,000 or
1: something. Is it- how many times have I been intentionally screwed? I'd like to believe it was every time. Um, but, but I think that there's a small subset of people who go in with a bad intention and there's, to be totally honest, now that the show's over, I'll tell you this. There are some moments where I pick a business and I know they're going to be that way. I know it. I go in knowing it. And I basically say to myself, I'm going to demonstrate for people what bad behavior looks like so that we can all spot it. And you can usually know if somebody's going to be a bad person pretty early on, or they're really focused on themselves and not their employees, or themselves and not the company. How much cash they take out, what they drive. I always like to see little teeny nuggets of things. When I meet a small business owner that's struggling, that's driving a BMW, I'm like, okay, this seems a little weird to me. When I meet a business owner that has a vacation home, but they don't have any money to pay their people, that's a problem for me. The best business owners are the ones who put their business in front of themselves. And when you do that, the business will love you back and give you a ton of cash. If you don't, the business is going to punish you and take all your money.
0: Awesome. Um, What's your take on a labor crisis today? We have, what, 3 million people quit their jobs in September. Massive exodus. Why it's happening and what we can do about it?
1: All right. So this is going to be the uh, answer that's going to get me in a ton of trouble. I'm positive I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this answer. Uh, I'm a capitalist, and I want to be super clear about that. I believe that everybody deserves an opportunity if they've earned some right for it, but I think you got to work your ass off. I like to be the first one in and the last one home. I expect you to be a giver, not a taker. But I'm a capitalist, and I think it's okay to make money. And I hate living in a society where people that are successful are demonized, as if you've done something wrong. If you run a good business and you pay your people right, not when they ask for it, but when you do it, and your business makes a lot of money because you put your ass on the line, you took out a lot of credit card debt, you put a second lien on your house, and you've done all these things, there's nothing wrong with making money. And then there's also nothing wrong, yeah, there's also nothing wrong with buying a nice car and having a nice house. Like Just because I have a nice car doesn't mean I'm an asshole. And so you look at mainstream media today in certain cases and people think that people should get things for free. They should, nobody should get anything for free. Nobody gave me anything for free. Nobody gave you anything for free. But if I work my butt off and I earn it and I want to take my kids on an expensive vacation, that's my business. That doesn't mean that I should do it on the backs of other people. And I'm not advocating that. But the challenge around labor, I think, is a little more interesting. And it probably is relevant to us more than it may be relevant to some. So we have this really weird system where immigration's a hot topic. And I'm an immigrant, okay? I'm an immigrant and I'm super grateful to everybody who's not an immigrant who allowed me to come to this country. You gave me permission to come into your land to provide for my family and to provide for an opportunity. And I feel like I have a heightened responsibility to give you more, to give back more because I don't know how else to pay you back. There are a lot of people who wanna come to this country to provide an opportunity for their own family. And I think they have to do it legally and I think they have to do it the right way. But a big chunk of our real labor force comes from that population. And when you start taking people out of the labor pool and you start sending people away and you start rejecting people from coming in that wanna do it the right way and then you wonder where the labor pool went, that's kind of the answer. And that's the answer that always gets me in trouble. Because I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, I don't really care about any of that. I do want people to follow the rules, but I also know that this is the land of the free and the home of the brave, not just the land of one person. So, It doesn't mean that it's like Katie, bar the doors down and let's just have the Wild West. But when we look at our business, I look at my business, and I look at other businesses, and I look at the work ethic, and I look at the opportunity, provide people a chance, to work in a deli for $6 an hour and then build a huge business without asking anybody for anything, without taking a handout while he's living in his car and being homeless. That's some bullshit if you don't think that that's a real deal. I'm grateful, but that's from my perspective. And so the labor problem is big. I don't believe anymore that it's because, oh, people are getting paid to stay home. That stopped months ago. I don't know what it is but we do have a real labor crisis. And when we talk about inflation, all these prices rising, I believe this inflation piece is temporary. It really is just a problem in the supply chain. We don't have the materials. So if we don't have the materials, that means demand is here and supply is here. And it's a natural economic thing. Prices go up. The minute there's a little more inventory, the prices are going to come down. So is it inflation or is it like just a small burst? But on the labor front, I don't know how it goes away. And I don't think the government can fix it. I don't think the government can fix a lot. I don't want them fixing my business, that's for sure. And so I think we have a challenge right now to differentiate us as employers. It is a bit of a hunger game environment right now. And the only way you're gonna win is if you create an atmosphere for employment that looks different than everybody else. Finite number of people, a lot of jobs. So how do each of you differentiate your opportunity to come work for you? And why should I come work for you? Because now, employees are interviewing us. That's crazy. And they're leaving over a dollar an hour. They're not caring about the culture, they're not caring about the family business or any of that other stuff. So we gotta be on our game. Technology, communication, information, a path to success, it's hard. It's really hard. And I worry about where the skilled labor, the tradesmen, tradeswomen, where is that labor going to be built? Because our next generation is too busy on TikTok thinking they're going to make a billion dollars because they made a video. What happened to being a mechanic, or being a, a plumber, or being a roofer, or being like, what happened to that? And you know, we need to make, as a trade, as an industry, and that's another reason why I want to do the renovator, I wanna make, excuse my French, but I wanna make being a tradesman sexy again, okay? It's not sexy anymore. Now it's like, can you be on YouTube? Who cares? Who cares? Awesome. Uh,
0: One of the big problems that we have in the roofing industry is uh, when you hire uh, people, and my question to you is, do you have entrepreneur screening type of uh, process? What I mean is, if you hire employee who has that entrepreneur spirit, you're gonna train them and then a year later they're gonna become your competition. So many roofing companies we train salespeople and then they go on their own. So how do you determine if a person gonna be a good employee or if he is too entrepreneur to compete
1: with you later? If you know you're hiring an entrepreneur, you know that they have a disposition to want to do it on their own. And they may be coming to work for you to make a little extra cash and to learn the inner workings. I don't think there's anything you can do to stop it. You have to figure out a way to give them a reason to not want to go on their own. But the reality of it is, is that it's gonna happen. And rather than being pissed off about it, take a little pride. I understand they can steal customers and they can steal employees and you can end up waking up every day paranoid and you're going to end up fracturing your business because you're going to be almost like thinking that everybody's out to get you. And the reality of it is, is that some of us in this room, including me, worked for somebody else. We learned what the tricks of the trade were. We studied, we paid attention, and then we all opened up our own business. And I would say that there's some percentage of this room that, that were those people. Mm-hmm. And so you probably would be better off feeling like you had a good relationship. And if I was an entrepreneur, I had that sort of attitude and I worked for somebody and I was thinking about going and doing something, I would have an open dialogue with them. It's be like, look, I think it's time for me to go do my own thing, but I'd love to figure out how we could still work together. If I get a job that I can't handle, maybe I'm going to sub it out to you and we'll split the money. If you get a job that you can't handle, maybe we can work together. And rather than making it combative, is there a way to actually monetize it? Because people are going to go do their thing.
0: Awesome. Uh, what's Marcus Lamoni's sales process looks like? How do you sell? Like, if you would own a roofing business, how would you sell me a roof? What Shit. What your
1: pitch would be? Well, first of all, I'm scared of heights, so I would not be doing it. To sell a roofing, roofing jobs, you don't
0: have to be on a owner.
1: Well, I'm. I think I do though, because I think I have to demonstrate to the customer that I know what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. And I think the biggest part of sales is really having true knowledge, not BS knowledge. You got to really explain to people how it works and why it's priced the way it is and how the materials are one price and the labor is another price and i don't think often enough we understand how to explain things to customers where they can process it roofing is labor and materials that's really all it is right and so if you can explain to people how it works that would be my technique i would try to educate myself about what the materials cost and what are the materials are needed and what the margins are. And I would explain to people, I make a little money on the materials. I make a little money on the labor. Let me also tell you, Mr. Customer, what my risks are. I'm providing a guarantee. And so I have to reserve a certain amount of my profit. If something goes bad, I have workman's cop in case somebody falls off the roof. I have to get extra insurance. I don't know anything about your business, but as a layperson, I think about the positives and then I get overwhelmed by the risk. What if one of my guys is on the roof and he falls off and he dies and his family sues me? What if I get faulty materials from a vendor that looked good to me? I have to provide a guarantee the vendor doesn't know whether the materials are bad. I go back to them and they're like, that wasn't us. And I think you have to be able to explain that to a customer because they're like, oh, okay, I kind of get it. I think the other big thing, and I think you guys and Dimitri really helping you with this, is that unfortunately the customer uses the web to figure out if you're a good or bad person. And reviews are the key to businesses today in my mind. And you have to deal with competitors going on to your your reviews and putting up BS reviews. Everybody's had that. Enemies of the state doing that to you. And so if you know that's gonna be out there, you have to play the most aggressive, no huddle offense when it comes to reviews. It needs to be the most, reputation management, needs to be the most important thing that you do as a business owner to control how people see you. Reputation management, I think you guys spend a lot of time on that. Absolutely. I would probably be the lowest grocer when it came to sales because I don't have knowledge. That's the last thing. The more knowledge you have, the higher your margins are because you can sell value and you can explain it to people. When you're BSing your way through the pitch and people start chopping you on price and price alone, oh, I had another roofing guy say he could do it for a grand less. And now you're all of a sudden like you get your are back on your heels and you're trying to defend yourself and you're starting to cut price. You gotta know also when to walk away and not compromise what you are, because there's a lot of demand.
0: Love it. Marcus Lemonis as a homeowner, was the last time you replaced the roof on any of your properties?
1: The last time I replaced the roof, I bought a house in Jacksonville, which is where my primary residence is. And we were going to renovate the house and uh, they put a house, they put a roof on like a year and a half before that. And I didn't like it. It was the shake roof. And I said to my wife, I don't like the roof. And she said, it's going to cost $200,000 to put a new metal roof on. So I did a lot of research to understand how long I thought that metal roof would last what the the risks were with the shake roof, with high winds and hurricanes. And I did this whole analysis and I knew that my return on capital would be better over the long run by putting in the roof. I told my wife all of that. And she told me I was totally full of shit, (laughs) and that I should just admit that I liked the way the metal roof looked. (laughs) And I said, well, I thought my sales pitch was good. She says, I'm going to let you have the metal roof. I just need you to be honest. You don't like the way that other roof (laughs) looks. So I, I have replaced a roof. But I'm now dealing with homeowners who need to have roofs replaced who don't have the budget for it. And I explained to them, and you're going to see me talk a lot about it on the show, which I think will help our industry, the trades is that deferred maintenance is the biggest killer and the biggest creator of foreclosures. Deferred maintenance causes more foreclosures in America than anything else. And if they would just, it's a pay me now, pay me later sort of model, except later it costs three times the amount. So I think as an industry, much like the car business does, we have to get into the maintenance discussion with people. Because if we can get cash flow on a regular maintenance where we're selling maintenance packages, we can tell people, you can pay me, I'm making this number up, $1,000 a year to come, check the gutters, look at the seals, look for leaks, or you can pay me $40,000 five years from now. You decide. And when you own a home, you have to understand that maintenance is part of the cost of ownership. And My number one goal in the new show is to explain to people that when you're thinking about buying a home or renovating your home, you have to understand the economics and that the trades are your partners in home preservation. The trades are your partners in passing on generational wealth. And so when you have a plumber come once a year to check things out, you have a roofer come once a year to check things out, you're not just spending money, you're preserving the asset and you're ensuring an appreciation of your asset and the long-term generational wealth. And as a trade, as an industry, I think we suck at that. And so I'm gonna force it through this process. Love it. Do you guys agree that, do you guys think you do a good job with it, explaining deferred maintenance, and you do a good job creating revenue off of maintenance? 70% 70%
0: of roofing contractors don't do repairs. Is that the same as doing maintenance? Yeah, like they, they wouldn't repair, they wouldn't main, like 30% do, yep. but it's very small percentage. Majority of the contractors goes for bigger jobs, insurance claims, something
1: big. Here, here's the number one uh, question that I have for all of you. I don't know your space, but if you thought about your business in two separate divisions, okay? Thought about your business in two separate divisions total replacement or, or or you know, damage replacement and maintenance, I would bet that the margins, right? Cause margins are cost of materials, cost of labor, plus the sale of the job. I would bet that the margins are better in maintenance cause I don't have an insurance company telling me how much I should get paid. And so you really have to go back and study your business and say, can I create a different silo of revenue that's all built around maintenance? And can I afford to pay that maintenance crew differently than I repay my replacement crew because my margins are better and can I pay better? And is there a different type of labor force that would like maintenance as opposed to total replacement? Can it be a new revenue stream for my business in 2022? And can it start out with like one guy or gal and I'm going to start this maintenance division?
0: I want to go to a few personal questions. I just don't understand how... You can do as much as you do. You're a CEO of a huge company. You have a TV show. You do speaking arrangements. What your day looks like? How much time? What was the most time consuming in your schedule?
1: I would say um, it depends on the day. I think time management has become a big part of my life, and I'm terrible at it. And what ends up suffering is my personal life. So I don't have kids and I made a choice to live the life that I live today. And for those of you that have kids, I'm sure it's a blessing. It's something that I definitely miss out on, but I chose this path and it comes at an expense. Um, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of friends. I don't have any siblings. Uh, my mom is gone. And so while it appears that I have this great life, which I'm very blessed and grateful for what I have, it comes at a cost. And uh, I don't advocate it for other people because I miss out on a lot of really good things, but it's a path that I chose. And I wouldn't equate it to being a school teacher or being a business owner. I would just equate it to a path. It is hard and and as I spread myself too thin, I find myself making more mistakes and I have to contract, clean things up and then expand again. And I'm learning that if I go out and I hire better people, smarter people than me to make decisions that I shouldn't make. As an example, I meet people all the time and I try to do deals. I tried to do one with him in the other room. I'm like, I wanna invest in that. And I used to just do it on my own and try to like make it work. Now I have that idea and then I'm like, okay, we've made a deal. Now you gotta to talk to some people that are smarter than me that will make sure that it's done right and done the right way. So it's, I would say that short answer is I gotta surround yourself with people that are way better, way smarter, way more logical, way less emotional than you are. And even if I tell them, I don't care if you don't wanna do the deal, we're gonna do it. If you do that a lot, you're gonna lose them and lose your money.
0: Absolutely. If you can give one advice uh, to roofing contractors or
1: contractors in general, and however you wanna finish. Um, I think understanding how to find new customers is always the topic of conversation. It's one that everybody, how do I find new customers? I think the better conversation is how do I hold on to the ones I have? And because the roof job is done, does that mean the relationship's done? I love a bird dog mentality. May raise your hand if you know what a bird dog is? Great. A bird dog, for those of you that don't know, is a, it's a backhanded way of saying referral fees. I like to pay people and in the old days for those of you that are a little bit older you'll know this company called amway or avon or tupperware okay we don't have that model today but it's a referral model some people like to make it negative and say it's like a pyramid scheme referral in business is not a pyramid scheme it's the way to kick ass with your margins because the cost of finding new customers is so expensive and the cost of holding on to your existing ones and getting referrals from their, their network is a lot less expensive. And so if your cost of acquiring a new customer for made up numbers is $100, and the cost of holding on to your customer and getting referrals is 95, which is not that high, which path do you choose? All of that being said, how do you gather that information from new customers and old customers and put them in a bucket a crm a true bucket where you understand your customer profile you understand when their roof is done and you create this pathway all of us that go to places sign up for emails and if the business knows how to do it they create what's called the journey i don't know how much you talk about things like that it's like taking a lead and figuring out the journey to get them to convert to a customer. But then we stop. We gotta create a full 360 degree journey to create a repeat customer and to create a circle of influence that that customer can create for us. In my primary business camping world, you know, we'll do $7 billion this year and it's all really based on mining data. Yeah, new customers come to the market, but we focus more on how to keep customers. And so I would ask you as you go into 22 to look at new things. The number of people that you acquire as new customers, but look at retention. Any communication of any kind with any existing customer, whether it be a maintenance job, a referral job, uh, 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 an inspection job, anything like that is retention. And I think if you understand that, it's no different than understanding relationships. So I'll break it down one last way. When we meet a new friend and we want to develop that relationship, you have to put work into it. You can't just be a friend with somebody and be lazy about it. And you have to make a phone call, send a card, wish them happy birthday, tell them if they're in trouble, give them a comfort, give them a hug, whatever it may be. We know what that feels like to like have a friend. If you thought the same way about a customer, a little differently, but the same way about you get a new customer, if you treated them like a new friend, you'd hold on to them. If you treated all your friends like you treated some of your customers, you didn't have any friends. Because you basically say, I got what I needed out of you. I'm good, thank you. And a lot of people argue with me and say, well, that's how business really works. And I would say that that's how business works if you want to keep your business flat. But if you want to build this stacking model, you go to Vegas and you play a parlay, which is if I win one and then I win another and I win another, the, the, the bet starts to compound. And it gets way more lucrative to win that bet if there's multiple layers inside of it. It's no different than layering on business, one after another. The thing that I want to give you advice on on a personal level is how your employees think about you. Your employees either think you're the smartest person in the room or the dumbest person in the room. And I would encourage you to do some evaluation. We always talk about like what the customer's review scores of you. Do I have three-star Google, three Google review, a five-star Google review? And, and we can put that out for public display. But how many of you know what your employee reviews are? truly. Anonymous reviews about how your customers feel about you, your business process, everything that you do. And I would encourage you to get that review. And it's going to be hard to swallow. I get reviews. All the, I solicit them all the time from, from my employees. And I'm embarrassed. I look at myself and say, I suck at this. And people are firing me all the time. Which is essentially what it means when people quit. They fired you. We think we're the only ones that can fire people. So I really strongly encourage you to do that. And my last question for you, and we're going to stand for this, okay? We're going to stand up. How many people in the room have somebody that they work with or works for them that they wish didn't work there? You have somebody that works for you or with you I don't always like that you wish didn't work there. And so if you're sitting, that means that you love everybody that works there and you're a liar. (laughs) So if you're sitting, no, don't. If you're standing, stand. So everybody sitting loves everybody they work with. Okay. For those of you that are standing, most of you are the truth tellers in the room. And I say to myself, I'm not saying it to you. Shame on me shame on me. Because I control their destiny. I hired them. I onboarded them. I trained them. I hold them accountable. And if they work for me or with me and I wish they didn't, whose fault is that? Theirs or mine? And so I really encourage you to go back to your office and think about those people that you are standing about and see if you can fix that relationship. And if you can't, because I struggle with it a lot, you should work at it harder. And if you can, you should say to that person, I went to this event, this crazy guy tricked me into standing, and they asked me this question and my answer was you. And I realize that it's not your fault, it's my fault. And so we're gonna decide today whether we wanna move forward or not, but I'm gonna put 100% of the burden on me, I'm gonna accept 100% of the responsibility. And how that person answers that next statement will determine if they should be there. If they let you take 100% of the blame for their relationship, they shouldn't work there anymore. If they just say, well, it's not totally you. I have to accept some responsibility. Then you should invest as much as you can into that relationship, because it shows that they're taking some level of responsibility in that relationship. They pin it all on you. It's like, I don't need you, man. Because honestly, it isn't 100% you. Like in a marriage, if the relationship doesn't work, unless you've done something that you shouldn't have, there's a little bit of responsibility on every side. And if your spouse says, No, babe, it's me too, I got to put some better effort into it, then it's worth investing in that relationship. But if they pin it on you, it's time to say goodbye. And saying goodbye to people isn't always a bad thing. This idea that we're going to keep people all the time isn't really true. So that is my year end message. The last request that I have is not a question, is try to be a better steward in your community. Try to have your people. And so I have 15,000 people that are on my team. I require them as a condition of employment to volunteer 32 hours a year on company time. They are required to do it. And I've had to let people go because they say to me, you can't make me volunteer. And my response is, yeah, I actually can. You're getting paid to do it. You're doing it during company hours. And if you don't think giving back to other people is a good thing, then I don't think you really understand who I am or who we are as a company. And I don't care if you go there and you just you know, go to a church and you help them fix something or you go to your kid's school and you help them fix something. Take your skill and do it. do something with it that doesn't require this. And I feel good about that as a business owner because I'm putting that word. What happened to me is I had one of my service technicians call me and say to me, I'm not doing this. And I said, no, but you understand, like that means you're not gonna work here anymore. He said, well, I'll try it, I'll try it. But if you're telling me that I'm fired if I don't agree to volunteer, I don't wanna be fired. I said, I'm just telling you, that's the way I think about life. And the good news is it's my business. And if I want to think about life that way, that's my choice. It's also your choice not to be here. Six months later, he called me back and he said, you saved my marriage. I said, why is that? He said, because I told my wife what this ridiculous idea of yours was. And she offered to do it with me. And we were going through some marital problems. And then we went out and we saw how other people were living in neighborhoods and how other people didn't have things. And then we started realizing how blessed we really were. And regardless of what faith you have or what religion you have, we started to realize that, man, you know what? Our marriage may not be as good as it could be, but it's way better than what those people have. And they started to get their kids involved and their family started coming together. And they now share this idea where they volunteer on company time. And now they're doing some family activity or neighborhood activity or church activity that's above and beyond that. So if you've never given back before, and I know everybody has, but if you've never given back before, and giving just isn't writing a check. That's the easy way to give. Giving of yourself and your skill and your brain and your heart and your hug and your ear is sometimes more valuable for people. And so when you go home, it doesn't always have to be around this time of year. When you go home, you should think about, it. what if we made our employees as a team one day every quarter, four days a year, that's all it is. Four days a year as a team, go out and do some work for somebody. Knock on a church door, knock on a school door, knock. go into a tough neighborhood, and just say, we're going to offer our services. What will happen? Because I promise you, when you go home that night and you lay your head down on the pillow, you're going to feel really different about yourself. And you know your mom, whether she's alive or not, is going to feel like you're a pretty good kid and that she did a good job. I can promise you, as God is my witness, it will change your life. So thank you very much.
0: Give it up, Marcus Lemuris!